Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of the Light Vision Podcast, where we have conversations with people to see meaningful things in life. My name is Eric Fisher, and in this third episode titled Do the Thing, I sat down with writer, woodworker, and musician Trapper Haskins to discuss his imaginative and exploratory mind, which has led him down adventurous paths. We all long for something grand and wonderful, many times recalling childhood memories of big dreams and creativity. There are many forms of imagination and creativity, but what makes Trapper engaging and unique is his desire to connect with people from past to present through crafty and active mediums to better understand the everyday person. So without further ado, I am really excited to present to you the third episode of the Light Vision Podcast, Do the Thing. Okay, so I'm here with Trapper. Trapper, man, it... It's always good to hang out with you. <laughs> We've already had a conversation a little bit before this, and we're going to jump in again. But before that, for the listeners, introduce yourself, if you don't mind. Yeah, my name's Trapper Haskins. I'm a writer, woodworker, and musician living um, outside Nashville here in Thompson Station. Okay, yeah. That's, <laughs> you you embody that creative mind, which I love. So um, I'm going to ask a couple questions here just because I'm, I'm interested. So as a creative a songwriter, an adventurer... Where did that where did that begin? Has that always been something you've had? Uh, I I don't know. Okay. Um, what I mean about there's not one specific thing that I can sort of draw on. Yeah. But uh, I grew up in Memphis, uh, so the Mississippi River has always been a like kind of a special place for me. Yeah. And I've always, you know, you read Mark Twain when you're a little yeah. kid, and that sort of adventure sort of mm-hmm. seeped in. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, I, I don't know. I think I sort of grew into, uh, grew into, grew into that. Okay. Okay. So I guess, I, I'm a very imaginative person, but really later in life now. So I love. I had created fake baseball leagues and basketball leagues in my backyard, and now I realize that's where a lot of my creativity is being rechanneled into different areas. Uh-huh. So I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, as a young kid from Memphis, seeing the river, reading Mark Twain. At what point do you think, you know what? We're just going to go out and do that stuff. <sighs> I'm trying to think of the first adventure that I really had. Um, and I, when I was a kid, we would go to uh, Mud Island, which is a park down on the river where there's a quarter of a mile model of the Mississippi. <clears throat> there's water flowing through it. My sister and I would go down there. Uh, summer afternoons and we would eat popsicles and we'd take the popsicle sticks and put them in the river and let them float down and it would take you know 20 minutes or something and the whole time I would always sort of imagine that that that, that popsicle stick was you know Huck Finn's raft going down the river that's cool Um, but the first adventure that I really had I didn't grow up in a camping family uh we did have a we had a small sailboat when I was a kid. We had about a twenty two foot sailboat. Okay. And I do remember we would just go out to the lake and we'd kind of sail around. It's on the Tennessee River. Yeah. We stand up at Pickwick. And um, I always remember wanting to go around the next bend, but we wouldn't. We would mm-hmm. just spend the day sailing around okay. the lake. But I always wanted to go around one more bend and just yeah. just to see what was okay. around it. Um, so maybe that was sort of the spark. But I didn't grow up in an overly adventurous uh, family. Okay, okay. But that maybe that lack of of adventure was 
the thing that you're pining for around around the bend. Yeah, you're just I think kind of like mm-hmm. there's always something more, and you were just curious. Curious. Yeah. 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 Okay, so uh, I just happen to know this. So I'm kind of skipping some timeline here, but you went to Maine for a time. I did. Yeah. So somewhere growing up in Memphis, I um, I kind of gravitated towards for lack of a better term, old-timey things. Okay. Um, and so when we had that little sailboat, I was just kind of drawn to the older boats, the old, you know, the old shipping tails and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, okay. And I wanted to learn how to, how to work on the boats. Well, there weren't, there's not a maritime culture, you know, in Memphis anymore. And so hmm. uh, two weeks after my wife and I got married, we moved up to Maine so I could apprentice in a, in a, in a boat shop. And so I spent two years wow. uh, as an apprentice in Rockland, Maine okay. at the apprentice shop. <clears throat> and I learned how to build boats there. And uh, while I was there, um, I, I built on nights and weekends a little little rowboat to okay. Mississippi River, y'all, while we were up there. Oh, cool. But <clears throat> the, the um, going up there was sort of, you know, it was following that curiosity. Like I had a curiosity about old things and not necessarily... Um, living in colonial times or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't interested in reenacting or anything like that. But old technology, I guess. Okay. Old technology just kind of... The root of it? Yeah, that was kind yeah. of the root of it. And it was it was sort of, you know, instead of staying in Tennessee and reading about it, I wanted to kind of go to the source. And, you know, up in Maine, there's a huge uh, maritime culture still to this day where they yeah. design and build wooden boats. So I decided to, uh, <laughs> decided to leave Tennessee... <laughs> And go up there and and, uh, and and learn the trade. That's, I mean, yeah, well, that's, <laughs> I, I appreciate it too, but I don't think I've ever at, really seriously said, you know what, let's, let's just go to Maine and build them. Uh-huh. So what, what, what is that like, I guess? What is that, what is it like to, to put your hands on, on the craft and, and build something that's, I mean, really archaic in a way? Yeah, yeah, there's definitely an anachronistic sort of component to it. Um, you know, I had plans of staying in Memphis. Uh, met my wife at Memphis State, okay. and, and uh, we were both students there. And we actually <clears throat> we dropped out of college and got mm-hmm. married to move up there. And part okay. of us dropping out was I realized I was an English major. Okay. And I sort of realized if I stayed there, I would end up being an English teacher somewhere. Which there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with that, but I I just felt I didn't I didn't know what I wanted to do, <clears throat> but I knew I wanted to do something more active and adventurous and, and hands-on. Okay. And uh, so we just decided to... Actually, we were going to take two years off. Turned into a long time. Yeah, we sure. Two years off and sort of go do this thing. Okay. And uh, doing that thing turned into... <clears throat> you know, turned into the life that, that I live now. So wow. going up there and putting my hands on the craft, though. When we moved to Maine when I was 22, 23... <clears throat> I had enrolled to do this program. I had committed myself to a two-year program. I had never turned on a table saw before. Oh, okay. I had... So there's hope for us. <laughs> I had zero woodworking experience, but uh, I just wanted it so bad. I wasn't, yeah. wasn't going to stay in Memphis. So, um, yeah, we lived up there for... for uh, it turned into four years, but I, I apprenticed for two of those years and sort of, and sort of learned... <laughs> You know, how to turn the tables on, how to do all those other things. And by the end, we were building and restoring sailboats wow. and lobster boats and, and things of that That's nature. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. And you still build now? 
I do uh, now that we live outside of Nashville. More of my more of my work has tended towards cabinetry, finished okay. carpentry, some furniture. Yeah. The only boat that I really work on is the boat in my backyard, yeah. <laughs> which is the uh, which is the Mississippi River y'all. Okay. That I built uh, while we were up there on the just the nights and weekends yeah. project. So. Yeah. And and you recently were on the Mississippi. Is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So the story, in a nutshell, the, the boat that's in the backyard, while I was in Maine, we built this Mississippi River, y'all. Mandy helped me, my wife. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, going back to that popsicle stick floating yeah. down Mississippi there at Mud Island. Um, when we were in Maine at some point, I got the notion that, you know, I, I can do this now. I have the... I have the skill and the know-how to, yeah. <laughs> to build yeah. something that will actually take me down the river. And uh, I had found this boat called the Mississippi River Y'all in an old book of American workboat designs. Okay. And so it's an 18-foot open rowboat, two rowing stations. Yeah. And so we built that boat, and a couple of weeks after I finished my apprenticeship uh, in 2002, we towed the boat out to uh, Minnesota. Okay. And we went from the headwaters, Lake Itasca, northern Minnesota. Yeah. And the plan was that summer of 2002 to take it all the way down the river. And three months later, uh, we pulled the boat out in New Orleans, which mm-hmm. is, you know, people think of that as being the end, but there's really 93 to 100 miles More. left okay. before you actually get down to the end or to the Gulf. Uh, and, you know, the reasons that we left are things that I've kind of wrestled with since. I don't, I don't really know. There wasn't one thing that happened. We just sort of felt like <clears throat> New Orleans felt like a good finish line. Okay. And, 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 and again, I don't know why that changed. We've been rained on for two weeks and I know Mandy had a stomach bug and just some, just some things weren't going well. We were like, let's just, okay. we'll end it in New Orleans. But no, this is not to, to cheapen the feet of, of rowing down the entire Mississippi save 93 to 100 right. miles. So we've gone, we gone, we gone 2,000. <laughs> the vast majority of yeah, that. Yeah, okay. we've gone over 2,000 miles. And we, you know, walked away from the river and I was okay with it. And we moved back to Maine and moved all sorts of different places. And then we moved back to Tennessee 2007. And uh, a few years later, I took a job in an office at an architecture firm. Which okay. was it was a good job, great people. It wasn't sure. for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after you know two and a half years of sitting at the desk, I started to um, really kind of struggle with some things. I turned forty years old. Uh, you know, so then you're then you're over the hill, and, <laughs> and, and uh, I remember I turned forty on a raining on a rainy Monday, <laughs> and I'd be going to the office, and I was thinking, is this what is this what I is this where I am now? Yeah. You know? And, you know, Mandy and I had had two kids, um, so there's so there's them to think about. So you sort of kind of narrow your focus on things mm-hmm. in life. And um, I don't I don't know. The boat was still sitting in the side yard. The boat had been sitting there for 10 or 15 years. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, uh, and I told Mandy one day, I said, we need to go finish the river. And she looked at me like I was crazy because this was here we are 16 years later and uh, I, I told her we need to finish the last 100 miles <laughs> and uh, so we she said, she said if that's what you feel like you need to do uh, yeah. we can do that and so we brought the boat into the garage just to paint it and then yeah. we're going to go out on the river well we got in the garage and realized that uh, the whole bottom 
was rotten as yeah. soon as we flipped it over. So yeah. it was going to take a rebuild. Right. And uh, it wasn't anything we planned on, but it really kind of turned into this blessing because my daughter, who was 10 years old at the time, she was out there with me. Yeah. And so I got to teach her how to replank the bottom of the boat. That's cool. How to caulk the seams with cotton and, you know, get the thing painted and stuff. And so my son helped sand the oars and do some other things. So it kind of became a family project yeah. to bring the boat back to life. And then, yeah, so the fall of um, fall of 2018, okay. we put the boat back in the river right where we took it out. Yeah. And over the course of two trips, uh, we, we got to the Gulf on uh, the Sunday following Thanksgiving 2018. Wow. So we... <laughs> We got we got the got the trip done and it was uh, it was you know I don't know what I expected to find at the end it's it's not like you know it's not like you climb there aren't like pearly gates or right, anything yeah right it's not like you <laughs> climb the mountain and there's there's some guy sitting in the lowest position at the top it's just a, a whole lot of salt water yeah. and uh, no people and satisfaction hopefully and the satisfaction <laughs> oh I let out the biggest the biggest yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was so much fun. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. And now you're, I think you're writing a book about that experience. Writing a book about the experience called Chasing Twain, uh, A Rowboat, A River, A Reconciliation. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of a travelogue, but it's also a memoir uh, about, uh, it's it's about finishing those things, tying up those loose ends, because we've all got these kind of dreams and plans, and some of them them kind of go off half-cocked, and some Mm -hmm. of them never go off at all. And, um, Some sit in the side yard fifteen years, needing to be rebuilt, but <laughs> <it's> just. <laughs> but you gotta, you gotta one day, you just gotta do it. So, I, so I had this, uh, I had this, this mantra um, that I was kind of repeating to myself, and ended up printing on some T-shirts. Um, one day, when I was sitting in that office, I would listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of books because I didn't talk to anybody in this job. I just kept my earbuds and then move things around on, the, on a computer screen. Yeah. But um, there was some podcast or some book that I was listening to, and I can't remember what it was, but they were talking about your life's philosophy, and if you had a mantra, what would your mantra be? And it, it wasn't anything that I dwelt on for a long time. I just wrote it down on a piece of paper. It came to me kind of wholesale, and I wrote down, do the thing even if your hands shake. Say the thing, even if your voice breaks. Oh, I love that. And so I ended up printing that up on some T-shirts, and um, we sold those through a Kickstarter campaign, mm-hmm. which is helping fund the book. But yeah. uh, so I don't. It's right now I'm in the process of writing the writing the manuscript. That's and, awesome. And keeping keeping after it. Yeah. Day. Yeah. yeah. That's that's awesome. I love how these these conversations for for Light Vision podcast really kind of they the meaning and the power of the story bubbles to the surface as, as the conversation is happening. And that, that, I think that moment just happened right now, which is really cool. Um, but I, you know, I, so I met, just shifting gears a little bit. Sure. So I, I met you on the baseball field. Mm. And f- for the listeners, it's really, it's just a field. <laughs> we, play, we play in a Civil War era baseball league, vintage baseball. Um, and you have this, this just awesome mustache when I met you and still have just vintage facial hair. It's amazing. And we're playing this silly game that's so much fun. But you're, you were you were captivating to me then because you loved the game that I was I stumbled upon 
and you embodied that picture of of historic whimsy fun you know uh, and, and I think that still happens now but what, what do you do you still chase I mean you're writing these books but do you still chase that that kind of um, old timey feel of, of the human experience you know there's n- I have we've been playing vintage baseball for eight years and for the listeners vintage baseball we play 1864 rules which is slightly different there's no gloves but it's kind of the same game Nine innings, nine yeah. positions, ninety feet between the bases. It yeah. feels like an awfully long way. It does. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but I had for years tried to get my wife to wear some Civil War era civilian clothing. Mm-hmm. You know, we wear the vintage uniforms. Right. Yeah. And she flat refuses. <laughs> and I tell you that because there's nothing in my house or in my life that is particularly um, old timey, uh, you know. I, I I use a laptop computer, and we're very kind of we're very kind of plugged in here. And my kids don't you know run around in in uh, flower bag dresses right, or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> but um, so I I don't know. I feel like that that's maybe that's maybe a sense of uh, of escape for me. I know you and I were talking about movies. You're a big movie yes, fan. Yes. Yes. I just find myself. I don't watch a lot of movies. Um, because I get, I get fidgety uh-huh. and my mind starts to wander after about an hour and a half. But um, for a lot of people, movies is kind of this escape. Mm-hmm. And I like, uh, I don't know, I'm thinking, I, I think that I, maybe I like to escape uh, in, in, into early America stuff. That's why I okay. like old boats. That's yeah. what drew me to vintage baseball. I was actually in Port Huron, Michigan, working on a wooden boat when I went to the library in 2006. And saw a flyer on the door there that says, you know, does anybody want to play vintage baseball? Yeah. Well, I've never heard of it, but right. if there's anything vintage and old timey, I'm <laughs> it's your attention, yeah. So I showed up and absolutely fell in love it's with really the game. Fun. Yeah. And uh, that's part of why we why we started the thing down mm-hmm. here, because uh, we couldn't couldn't find a team down here to join. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, like I said, there's nothing else in our in a, we don't you know, we live in a subdivision. Yeah, uh, we're we're very as my son uh, says now in days when my my son talks about the um, the olden days and now in days. Oh, great! I love that. Yeah, <laughs> the now in days. So we live in the now in days, but I like to escape into the olden. Days. Okay, I mean, it makes a lot of sense because yeah, I am a movie buff and I love story, and that's what Final Creations is about. That's what the Light Vision podcast is about. It's, it's about living a story that's meaningful, or just frankly learning what people's stories are. Um, so I, I certainly escape or learn through two hours in a dark room uh-huh. um, and, and several other ways. But uh, I love that yours is more active. It's, it's, it's out. It's doing things. Yeah. It's, it's putting your hands on the craft. And, and but, but there's a story there, too, uh, because, you know, so let's think about the 1860s. Uh, the stories of the 1860s are largely centered on the Civil War, yeah. epic military battles. But these civilian stories are kind of buried in the newspaper. The mm-hmm. old, the, they were playing baseball at this time. Yeah. And um, so those those sort of quieter stories kind of interesting. Yeah. Not not the big epic stories, but just the personal stories of the guys that were playing baseball or the shipwrights in Maine mm-hmm. uh, in the old days and how they they built those boats. Yeah. But those kind of those kind of personal stories. Uh, 
I, I feel like the things that we do, whether we're building wooden boats or we're playing vintage baseball, those things are like a conduit to their time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I really embrace any of that kind of, sure. kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. it, it helps relate the, really the human experience across time. We're, we're mm -hmm. all trying to do the best we can in many cases. And... And surviving or thriving and, and just moving forward. Well, and we certainly dramatize and kind of celebrate certain categories that you mentioned uh -huh. in the annals of history. But there are people everywhere doing the best they can to, to whether intentionally trying to create a story or not. They're there and their story matters. And I think that's what right. vintage baseball does, boat building or just walking the, the Freedom Trail in Boston. And it's just Fun. I mean, you're not doing anything really, just walking along a brick path. But right. it helps bring bring to life the footsteps of other people. You know? That's right. Yeah. That's right. And they're and they're simple stories. I think too often we get caught up in thinking about historical figures that have these um, just monumental stories. But at the time when they were living, you know, all of these people had what I would consider small stories. They just kind of I think maybe they become big through a historical lens or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I was thinking on the way over here too, again, I told you, trying to frame the conversation a little bit in my mind. And, and as a storyteller myself, I think what I, I try to do, I'm long-winded, but what I try to do is, is paint a picture of my experiences in the mind of other people. And I want them to know everything that I saw because it, mm -hmm. it helps the story to me. It, it paints the experience. Like, man, I wish you could... You can know about the you know the thirteen hours I was walking around Disneyland in anticipation for the Rise of the Resistance ride, which is a different story. <laughs> and I'll be here for a long time telling you about that. But um, I've also explored a lot about what it means to be a storyteller. I mean, photographers are storytellers, writers are storytellers. I mean, there's so much to that word. Uh, and you're a musician also. Mm -hmm. you know, you're a singer songwriter. So I'm, I, I want to shift gears, maybe close the, the conversation with that piece of, of your, your passion. Okay. Uh, talk about what it, how you tell stories through lyrics and that art form. Yeah, it's, uh, I'll tell you, it's been interesting working on this book because that's been a huge shift for me. I've spent my life ever since I was 12 years old uh, writing songs and singing songs and stuff. And so I've, I've learned how to tell a story in very few words and really leave out a whole lot of details and let the listener, uh, you know, I just kind of, in the song, you just kind of give them the waypoints yeah, and then, yeah. the, then the listener finds it. Whereas in the book, you're really trying to, uh, hold their hand through the, through the whole scene. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a writer, you know that yeah. it's, uh, uh, so I kind of cut my teeth in writing, um, with the guitar in my hand and just trying to tell, tell a story in three, three and a half minutes, something like that. Wow, yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, it's something I've, I've done since I was 12 years old. I remember I would I would uh, get these songbooks. I might get like a Bob Dylan or Neil Young. My dad was really into that. And so I, he had the songbooks, and I would pull up the book, and the chords would be there, and I'd start playing the chords, and as I mentioned with the movies, my mind would kind of wander and I'd get bored. Well, by the second verse, I was kind of bored of their lyrics. I was just sort of, okay. felt like I was reading a script yeah. and I would be off on some tangent with my own lyrics. And so that was sort of the birth of my songwriting. Well, that's, hey, that's, that's really cool, actually. <laughs> you got bored with Bob Dylan. 
I get that. I just joking with you. I get the concept though. You want your exploration and your exploratory mind was moving into telling your own story through the chords that were were, were presented to you, which is really cool. Right. Um, and we talked. If you're still open to it, sure. we talked about maybe playing a song yeah, uh, on the absolutely. podcast, which I would love because it's be, it'd be unique for for what we've done so far, and that encapsulates what who you are in a lot of ways. So if, if you don't mind, that'd be that'd be awesome. Cool. Yeah, let me grab the grab the guitar. So I'm gonna do a song. Um, I'm just fixing to put out an album, so I should probably play something off of that album, <laughs> but I'm not going to. Uh, I'm gonna play a song I haven't I haven't recorded or released this one yet, but it's. Um, I was talking earlier about sort of having the courage to kind of do do the thing. Um, a few years ago, I got a phone call from a female friend of mine who um, she had something happen to her that should never happen to any female. And during that conversation, actually towards the end, she told me she said, uh, "I don't even feel like I was made for this world," is what she said. Mm-hmm. And so that night, I wrote her this song. This is called "Made for This World," and it was sort of uh, my encouragement, a message to her, I guess. That's awesome. It's a short one. Oh, uh-huh. 
That's beautiful, man. Thank you so much for playing that. That was awesome. Thank you for uh, having me. Yeah, man. That, that one of my favorite conversations I've ever had so far. That, that was. <laughs> <laughs> thank you again so much, brother. Mm. Appreciate that. Thank you for having me. I yeah, really of course, appreciate it. Of course. It's been great. Yes. Been fun. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Light Vision Podcast. I am just so motivated and inspired by Trapper's story and his adventurous spirit. And I hope that you'll go forward and remember the featured phrase, do the thing even if your handshake, say the thing even if your voice breaks. It's a a wonderful call to action to go live a great and meaningful story. And I'm excited to hear and learn and experience all that Trapper is about to do. And uh, just a great conversation. And if you're excited about this podcast, you can become a patron today on patreon.com slash Finor, F-I-N-O-W-R. For as little as $5 a month, you can gain behind-the-scenes access and exclusive content accessibility to what Finor Creations is doing, including preview episodes of the Light Vision podcast and so, so much more. There's many things that are coming down the pike. So if you like what we're doing, please join today. But for now, look forward to our next episode in two weeks where we talk about race, religion, and lifestyle and an exciting conversation. So until then, shine bright.